This is an ABC podcast. In 1979, the West Papuan band, Black Brothers, were one of the most popular bands in the region. As their audience grew, so did their activism, speaking out against Indonesian rule over West Papua. The band had to flee their homeland along with their families. Lead singer August Rumeropen and his wife fled to the Netherlands, then one more two before finally settling in Australia. The couple had three daughters, all with beautiful voices and the same drive to use music to spread their message about West Papua. To honor their father and the legacy of the Black Brothers, the girls started their own band. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk to Rosa from the Black Sisters. My father's from an island called Biak, Biak Island, and my mother's from Manukwari. So I am a full-blooded West Papuan woman. I've been living in Australia for 33 years. I've been living here since I was six years old. We actually settled here as refugees. We were the first West Papuan refugees um, to settle in Australia, in Canberra. And I just moved to Melbourne 14 years ago to continue music and basically a legacy that my father's band has left uh, our generation. My uncle Andy Aimiseba, who is who's passed away, he was the producer of the Black Brothers Band. He created this band for the movement. The Black Brothers members were sort of found all over West Papua through different villages, um, and they were probably at the time the best musicians <laughs> in West Papua at the time, and, and also so, the Pacific as well. Yeah, all over the Pacific, and you know they'd. They'd been doing their own thing, gigging with their own bands and everything. And um, my uncle, my uncle formed this band, and they travelled um, all over West Papua. And you know, they did their shows. They actually settled in Jakarta um, for a few years, where um, they made a lot of you know number one hits, and they became really popular in Indonesia. Um, so they had a mixture of sort of love songs and. This, it started obviously getting political because there was a message behind the music. Um, and as soon as it sort of started getting heavy, they were invited to Papua New Guinea to do a few shows in Papua New Guinea and they were based in Port Moresby. So they had a few shows around Papua New Guinea. I know my parents, they stayed in Hohola in, in Papua New Guinea um, with a family there from Biak Island as well. And as time went by, they did all the shows obviously got very popular in Papua New Guinea as well and then it got to a point where they had to flee um, because of the music and the Indonesian government were just after them and obviously ready to to lock them up. So they fled. Why were they considered to be a threat to Indonesia, especially when it's just music? Yeah, exactly right. I guess, you know, at the time there were a lot of Human rights abuse is happening, which is still happening today, and Black Brothers were very vocal about it. 
Um, my uncle Andy was also very politically involved in the in the movement, and yeah, the music obviously were getting to the grassroots, and people were speaking up, and they weren't afraid to speak up, and the music really did have an effect on the people. So the government weren't weren't too happy about it. What are some of the messages in the music that became sort of controversial? Basically, what's happening there. Um, you know, the mining, the gold, the rape, everything. I mean, all of the things that are happening, all the human rights abuses that are happening in West Papua were coming through the music and how we just want to have our own, we want to live on a free land. We're not Indonesian, we're West Papuan. Nothing against the Indonesian people as a people because they're beautiful people as well, but the government, I mean, we're one land with... Papua New Guinea. Rosa's family fled to the Netherlands in 1979. That's where Rosa and her older sister Leah were born. Five years after they left the Pacific, they returned settling in Vanuatu and their younger sister Petra was born. Vanuatu is a beautiful place and uh, that's where all my childhood memories are. You know, I went to kindergarten there. Uh, my sister Leah and I had recorded our first album there as well. We made a children's album with the Black Brothers, so it was played on the radio like every morning. Um, so I felt like it was a peaceful place. And at the start, like, I mean, at the beginning of moving to Vanuatu from Holland, it was quite tough because, you know, we went from Europe to the island. So when we first got there, it was like we hadn't seen, like, beautiful oceans the way we did, the sand, and just it was a completely different lifestyle. So, yeah, it was just like getting getting back to our roots and like this is actually who we are. We're Melanesian and this is, you know, this is what it feels like to live with our own people. Um, I love Vanuatu and our relationship, our relationships um, with the government, obviously with West Papua and the government of Vanuatu is very special and has been connected because of the Black Brothers band, um, because of my late uncle Andy Aimiseba. And we've just formed that bond since then. And that's why we have, you know, Vanuatu will always be a special place for us. Yes. You speak with so much um, love uh, when you talk about Vanuatu. So how uh, much of a shock was it to then leave again this beautiful place and then move to Australia? Yeah, that's, you know, it was really tough growing up like, Dad sort of, I mean, mum and dad always taught us, you know, as kids growing up where we come from, what our culture is like, you know, all the basic things. But, you know, we're moving around, so we're going from different, it's like different worlds, you know, so we're trying to adapt. It's always been a struggle to know, not to know who you are, but just to be around different places trying to explain, you know, I come from this and this is my story and it's it's very difficult. Like, you know, there's obviously trauma involved in it. There's a lot of a lot of things behind being displaced or, you know, we were basically at, stateless. At that age. Stateless and at, and that, at age. that age and mm-hmm. growing up as a teen and everything. I remember mum was saying when we got to Vanuatu, we only knew how to speak Dutch. Like I don't even remember how to speak Dutch, but as a three-year-old, that's the only language I knew when I moved to Vanuatu. Wow. So having to learn Bishlama, which is their language, you know, and then leaving Vanuatu and coming to Australia and only knowing Bishlama, so having to learn <laughs> English. So it was all, you know, it was tough 
as a kid, but mm. at the same time, it it just made us who we are, and that's why we're so. I think I guess we can just adapt now, and yeah, it's made us who we are. Like with our journey with music and everything. The family was stateless until Rosa was fourteen, when at last they were granted Australian citizenship. It was like we were no a nobody, you know. So it was crazy, like. We went through some really hard times um, growing up, but, yeah, it was like as soon as we received, you know, our Australian citizenship, it was like, okay, now we've really got our foot in the ground and we can start. How much of an impact did that finally have on you and uh, your family and to be granted a citizenship and just have a place to call your Home? Yes. I know for mum and dad it was a really big relief because I know in, obviously in their hearts is they want to go back. They want to be able to go back to West Papua. As soon as we got our Australian citizenship, not long after that, dad went back home for the first time after over 38 years. Wow. Was, um, it's a long time to be away from home. Yeah. And he was finally reunited with his family after all those years. And, um, yeah, I guess receiving that citizenship was, for me at 14, I may have not felt the impact of it, but I know now that I'm I'm a grown woman and I understand everything, it had a massive impact on mum and dad. Like it, it gave them a sense of hope. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. My guest, Rosa Rumoropen, is a member of the band, the Black Sisters. She and her sisters, Leah and Petra, formed the band in Melbourne to continue the family legacy. Their uncle, Andy Ayamiseba, and their father, August Rumoropen, started the band Black Brothers and used music in the 1970s and 80s to speak out against Indonesian rule in West Papua. It's been, it's been a really long journey. After my dad passed away in 2005, we buried him back home on Biak Island and then we came back and we decided then that we really wanted to take, you know, the movement seriously. We wanted to, you know, continue the legacy that Dad had left. Obviously growing up in Australia we we just got used to, you know, we went to work, we finished school, just into, you know, the daily routine and not really thinking about the Free West Papua movement or anything like that. But after Dad passed away with, you know, it was the right thing for us to do and, we decided to move to Melbourne and that's when everything kind of started with the music. I mean, we've always been singing, but in Melbourne that's when it it went to another level. So, you know, we created a band, we joined some bands as well and we just we had opportunities to share our music, our dad's music um, around Melbourne, around Australia. We had opportunities to go overseas, which we did. We went back to PNG to perform we went to Vanuatu, New Caledonia, and around the world as well. So with other bands who support the movement, it's been a journey. <laughs> it has been. Do you use that opportunity to also create that awareness and spread that message through your collaborations internationally as well? Definitely. I mean, that's why we do the music. You know, I mean, we, we love to sing our own, I mean, cover songs and everything like that. But what's really in our in our hearts and our job is to to show 
the world, you know, what's happening in West Papua through through our music. And at the moment, Black Sisters aren't, I mean, my, uh, my older sister, she's doing her own thing now, but it's still the same message and we'll, we want to cre- keep creating the awareness through any means. I mean, I don't live in West Papua. I've never lived there to experience exactly what they go through, but I know my parents did and what I've experienced as well, having to sacrifice and for our country, I feel like that's already enough for me to be able to write music about it or feel what I feel, being dis- displaced and having to flee. Um, that's already a lot and that has to be told to people. And of all the collaborations and places in the world that you've been to, uh, what are some memories and highlights of your travels just through music and the messages you've been sharing worldwide? I think it's being with our own people, being in the Melanesian islands, because we've never had the opportunity to grow up and feel like, you know, living in a Melanesian culture. So every time we do visit Vanuatu or Papua New Guinea or New Caledonia and just sharing the culture and exchanging culture, it's like it's the most amazing thing because we weren't able to do that growing up. You know, we've been here our whole lives in Australia and we're always longing to go back. But the the special part of the tour is meeting the chiefs and, and seeing how tradition works, seeing how Melanesian culture is. It's such such a beautiful culture. And I think for me personally, that's my my most um, favourite part because I, I felt like I didn't really get to have that or see it growing up. What sort of response do you get from your own people seeing you put their life out there through music and culture? I mean, our people are so proud of us. You know, they're really, really just, we're like hope for them, you know. And we're not the only ones. There's other West Papuan artists and the younger generations that are trying to do the same thing, that are doing the same thing. And, you know, they need to. Our youth and our future generations need to not be complacent with the Indonesian government and not just accept that. I'm not saying, I know that, you know, West Papua is ruled by Indonesia, but the most important thing for us as think as the black sisters is just don't forget who you are. Our culture is so important because it's who we are and it's, that's the only thing that we have left because, you know, they, they want to take that away from us. There are many like yourself, West Papuans around the world, who have been highlighting the situation in your homeland. What impact does spreading this message through your music have on your audience outside of West Papua? It has a very big impact because in West Papua alone, you can't really just write freedom music. You can't really express yourself through music. I mean, you've got Arnold Up, who was, you know, he was a famous singer, songwriter, and he he had a, a big impact on West Papua. It's just the same as the Black Brothers. But at the same time, we don't have that luxury of just being able to release music about what's happening in West Papua or singing about 
our freedom and being able to have our own land to ourselves. Like there's really no such thing. And even being able to represent ourselves with our flag, no, that's that's 15 years prison. You go to jail for that. It's treason. It's against the law. Your flag, you mean the Morning Star flag? Yes. The West Papua Morning Star flag? Yeah. And looking back and your journey, your amazing journey and your music, being inspired by your dad and the Black Brothers and then doing Black Sisters, uh, that's two generations of your family and your effort to continue to speak up for your people. What is your hope for your children and for the future? My hope for my children are just to know who they are. Like, that's the most important thing because if you don't know who you are, it's not so easy to carry this movement with you. For us, it was it's a journey. It was a journey to get to where we are. Um, like I mentioned before, with being in different countries and societies, it's, it's, it's so different. But we've instilled that into our kids and it will be up to them what they do. But, you know, they're all very very aware and educated about West Papua. They all um, have a dream to see West Papua free, just like we do, and they will do something.
was the Black Sisters, Rosa and Petra Rumoropen and Petra's daughter Miriana Korwa singing Biak Meos Karu, which is a tribute to their West Papuan homeland, Biak. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. Speaking of amazing Melanesian singers, as the Australian Papua New Guinean singer-songwriter Naira built her career, she always tried to keep her heritage and the music separate. Until 2017, when she made a pilgrimage to her mother's home in the Highlands. Here is Naira sharing that experience on conversations with Richard Feidler. My family are from the Warabung region. Um, so Goroka is the main township in the Eastern Highlands. So if you travel further up the mountain on the way to Mount Hagen, you'll hit a place called Warabung. takes you about two days to reach the top of the summit and then down again. But it's just the most magical place I've ever been to, just mountainous flora and it's hugged by clouds and people are still living in grass huts up there. You know, there's still a lot of subsistence farming and things are still pretty intact up there, which I always appreciate and love um, going back there. So it's a pretty spectacular part of PNG, I would say. Not many people know that there is this, just this mountainous ecosystem and it it reaches high altitudes. I mean, the highest peak in the highlands is uh, Mount Willem and sometimes it's even snows up there as well. So yeah, it's truly magical, really magical. What did you know about your ancestors when you were growing up who lived on this mountain? I remember my mother telling me about her grandfather. So my great-grandfather... And he was a chief. His name was Lofunokue. Uh, my son's middle name is named after him. And he had three wives and he was what they call the mouseman of the village. So basically, the you know, he had the voice of a leader or a spokesperson or someone important. And people, I mean, Highlanders in general are, are known in PNG as very stubborn, <laughs> very stubborn, almost pig-headed people. But that that's definitely benefited me as being part Highlander on my journey in the music industry because I just I just very persistent um, with my journey as a as an artist. But what I remember of my ancestors, I mean, that's it's all stories that have been passed down by my grandmother and my and my mum, and it's definitely Lofunokue. If we're talking about ancestors, he's the one that I remember the most about him being a leader and being this really strong, stately chief of our tribe. So, yeah, I guess the thing that that comes back to me is just the pride that comes with being a part of this particular tribe. Tell me the story of how your mother came into the world, please, Lara. <laughs> My grandmother, you know, she was a bit of a firecracker herself. <laughs> uh, just one night, just before my mum was born, she was by herself and she remembers being surrounded by ancestors that had passed on uh, who knew that she was about to give birth to my mum. And my grandmother literally gave birth to my mum by herself, like a full monster of a woman, and cleaned herself up. And in the morning when the rest of the family woke up, she was like, meet your new sister. <laughs> oh, wow. So you have these epic family stories in, in your background. How old were you when you first made your first visit up that mountain, Nairi? I would have been anywhere between 13, 14. Most of my interaction 
with my family was on my dad's side and my mum was very adamant that we'd have more of a Tolai upbringing. So my father is from Rabaul and the people from Rabaul are called Tolais and hold very high positions of, of power in politics and that kind of stuff. So mum was like, okay, we need to bring the children up. They need to know this this side of their heritage as, as well as, as a focus point. So at one point she said to one of her brothers, my daddy Sai, take the kids up to where they come from and, and let them see where they come from. And, you know, if we don't only ever heard stories about our family up in the mountains and what it was like. And so it was really exciting and exhilarating to be sent off without our like parental <laughs> guidance, just with our uncle, who was the most playful uncle I've ever had, just really cheeky and childlike. So this was a real adventure then for you and your siblings? Then. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a full adventure because all we'd ever known was coastal life, you know, the white sandy beaches and the palm trees and that kind of stuff. This was a this was a polar opposite to what we'd experienced um, growing up in Rabaul. So you know we get to the bottom of the mountain, and you know as you ascend further up, it gets cooler and the climate drops and the vegetation changes. There's not many coconut trees up there, and then we just kept meeting people along the way, saying, "Oh, I'm related to you in this form," you know. 10 times removed or three times removed. And my uncle would know all of these people and try to explain to us where they fit in in the family tree. So it was, a, like you said, it was a real adventure. There was just flowing freshwater rivers everywhere, just the tallest trees you'd ever see, flowers that I'd never seen. You know, there were goats everywhere. Just a complete contrast to the coast. And what was the village like when you arrived there? The village in the highlands, you have a lot of red earth, and so you'd have forest area and then you'd have a clearing where it would be, I guess, a more built up area where they'd have huts everywhere and there'd be a main hut where people would have their village meetings and then there'd be a full, a full clearing in the middle of these huts of just dirt where kids could play or women could just sit and, you know, weave their billum bags. But there was always just like this low rumble of people talking. There's a lot of there's a lot of storytelling, you know, because now things like smartphones and Facebook and social media are seeping into village life, really? even though there's mm. not mm. much, yeah, even though there's not much electricity there. People entertain themselves by staying up to date with what's happening in the community by telling stories and just sitting around and, for want of a better word, shooting the shit, you know, and <laughs> it's, a, it's a very conversational culture. There's a lot of chatter. So we could hear that all the way up the mountain, just people talking and that low murmur of conversation. And because Papua New Guinea, especially in the village areas in the highlands, word travels really fast, it's, you know, almost as fast as, as an email. And so word would have traveled up the mountain before us telling people that Miriam's children were heading up the mountain for the first time. And so people in the community would would say, you know, you can use my hut or that hut or whatever. I've got this hut sitting there or I'll go stay with my brother or my cousin and you guys can use the hut. So we would stay in these little grass huts with which are just the most cozy houses ever. I mean, they're thatched roofs with woven, we call them flax walls. And then in the center would be the fire where your cooking and all your storytelling would happen around this fire. And then you would sleep on a kind of mezzanine level around the fire. So it was one of our first experiences sleeping in something like that. And, you know, as kids, it was better than camping. 
that was a small part of a fantastic interview from Conversations with Richard Feidler. You can listen to the rest of the interview on the Conversations website or the ABC Listen app. Thank you so much for joining me. Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, have you ever dreamed of being a writer? So many women in the Pacific have a story to tell. So why is it so hard to find people willing to publish our books? There was no young adult books for set in the Pacific. I thought, you know, this is the story I want to read. Nobody's written it yet, so I'm going to write it. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our supervising producer is Kim Lester. Executive producer is Inga Stunzner. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. And that's all. Nabungimu next time.